0: Let me read you for a portion, just a brief portion of God's Word from Isaiah chapter 45, beginning at verse 20. It reads like this. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God they cannot, that cannot save. Declare and present your case, let them, be, let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, this is a very interesting section of the book of Isaiah. I'm not talking about just about our text, those three verses, but the section. There's like four, six, eight chapters or so right in there where something is going on that I hope you've noticed before. <clears throat> in this section of the book of Isaiah, we are introduced to a man by the name of Cyrus. He is first mentioned in chapter 48. The last verse of 48, when he says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. And then in 45, 1, thus says the Lord to his anointed, Cyrus, to Cyrus. Now, everybody knows who Cyrus is, don't you? Not exactly a household name, is it? Cyrus? But let me tell you, he played quite a role. Cyrus is the, you remember that the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. They were dragged off into a captivity into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar died, other kings came, and then the media-Persian world uh, grew, developed their own army, and came over and defeated the Babylonians. Under Cyrus. He was the Persian king that defeated the Babylonian Empire. <clears throat> now, The interesting part of this is that he is mentioned in chapter 44, verse 28, 150 years before he was ever born. The Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, does that ring a bell? Josephus is pretty much known, I think. Josephus tells the story that uh, on one occasion, Cyrus, the Persian king, was having the book of Isaiah read to him. And he heard his name. He was so impacted by the ability of this God to predict the future that he then determined that he was going to make sure that it got carried out. And so he set in motion all of the machinery necessary so that the Jewish captives held for 70 years in Babylon could now return to Jerusalem. Not only was he the one that decreed that they would be allowed to leave, he also paid for it. He also determined that not only would they leave, but that the Persian Empire would pay for it. Now guys... When we come to our text, which is in forty-five, Isaiah is speaking prophetically. He's speaking predictively. Now, notice what he says. <clears throat> um, he says that you survivors of the nations—that's those captives that are going to come back—and he was saying, uh, you know, don't mess around with those idols. And then in verse twenty-one, present your case. Now here's God presenting his case. Who? Told this long ago. Who declared it of old? Guys, what is the this? What is the it? Who declared this of old? Well, the this is the rising of the Persian Empire that would come and defeat the Babylonians and that the king of the Persians, Cyrus by name, would then free the Babylonian captives. Now, guys, he said, who said this? Who predicted it of old? Who was the one that said 150 years before it happened that this was going to take place. Was it not I? Says the text. Was it not Yahweh who said this? And on the basis of his control of history, he makes this claim. There is no other God besides me. You survivors would have the audacity to mess around with a rock? With a block of wood? Oh, they can't talk to you. But I, Yahweh, here's what I did. I predicted the future 150 years out. Because there is no other God like me. There is no other God. That's the claim that is unfolding in front of you based on This mention of Cyrus, do you see that? Do you get that? So there, pardon me, there's the claim. But then comes the appeal. I'm the one that predicted it. There is no other God besides me. Now, that God, who is the only God, who controls the future, turns to the audience and makes an appeal. Verse 22. Turn to me and be saved. <laughs> now, guys, can I tell you a little story about that text? Um, here's somebody else. Here's another name for you. You've, you've got Cyrus down. Here's another name for you, but I bet you know this one. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You ever heard of him? He is considered by all of us, whether you're an Arminian or Reformed, he is considered to be the prince of the Christian pulpit. The greatest occupier of the pulpit was Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and boy, he is something. He was, by the way, Reformed, but um, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> This um, Spurgeon tells this story of him in his in his biography, in his autobiography, that he was in, he was, I think he was about 18 years old, and he was in deep bitterness of soul, anguish of soul, and he he um, was trying to figure out life. And so one Sunday morning he decided that he must go to church. And so he got up on a Sunday morning to head to church and Unknown to him, in the night there had been a snowstorm. But he determined, I'm going to go anyway. So he heads to church in the midst of all the snow and realized that so many of the churches in the village were closed because of the snow. But there was one church, a little small Baptist church, that was open because he could hear the people singing inside. So he decided to go inside. He realized once he got there that the preacher had not been able to get there because of the same snow. So a layman stood up. A layman, who was a deacon in the church, stood up to occupy the pulpit in the absence of the preacher. Now from there, let me read to you Spurgeon's own words about what happened. Six years ago today, as near as possible at this very hour of the day, I was in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity, but had yet by divine grace been led to feel the bitterness of that bondage and to cry out by reason of the soreness of its slavery. (laughs) The slavery of sin. Seeking rest and finding none, I stepped within the house of God and sat there, afraid to look upward lest I should be utterly cut off, lest his fierce wrath should consume me. The minister, this layman deacon guy, rose in his pulpit and as I have done this morning, read this text. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Isaiah 45, 22. Spurgeon says, I looked that moment. The grace of faith was vouchsafed. That's a word we don't use, but it just means given. The grace of faith was given to me in the selfsame instant. And now I think I can say with truth, Ere since by faith I saw the stream, his flowing womb supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. This text, this appeal in Isaiah 45 22 based on the claim that God predicts the future, which means there is no other God but Him, this appeal was heard by this invitation, was heard by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. An, an invitation, a, a sermon preached, by the way, by a layman brought Spurgeon to faith, and he became went on to become the prince of the Christian pulpit. So, today, I have another invitation for you based on that text. Look, look. What do you see? They are emblems, they are symbols, nothing more they symbolize the one to whom all of us must look lest we be lost ladies and gentlemen this sacrament is a visible portrayal of the very thing to which we must look if we are ever to be forgiven of our sin so Come join us as we remember the very centerpiece of the gospel message, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. May we pray together. Our Father, would you meet us here at this table? Would you remind us that what is here is intended to stir up our memories about the things that we hold so dear. Would you meet us here, O God, and nourish the souls of your people? Use this text as you used it in Spurgeon to cause us to look upon that which is displayed on this table. The very centerpiece, the sufferings of Jesus Christ on behalf of his people. Meet us here, O God, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.